hope everybody enjoyed that chris uh thank you so much for going the extra mile and um recording it when you uh guys went away really appreciate uh, your faithfulness and diligence uh it really is all about the presence of god uh leslie said this we we come together because we gather around the presence of jesus christ um uh, and it's a privilege it's a privilege to have you all with us this morning um we, we are so um glad that you've joined in uh, and we hope that this morning will be a blessing unto you um i'm gonna sp speak to you um out of two peter the book two peter verses one to four um i think i want to start off by saying that les brought such a good message last week uh, in terms of warfare in terms of the mind uh, in terms of the full armor of God going forward um, and the battles that we face and how we are to face them, um, the situations that we face, the circumstances. I think we can all agree that everything is a little bit in shambles, but there's one thing that remains true. There's one thing that remains steadfast, and that is Jesus Christ. That is his word. He is his word, his perfect theology, uh, and, and that is our hope, and that is the, the hope of our glory. Um, so this morning... Uh, I'm going to read to you uh, from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Uh, it's a portion of scripture that I've been kind of like deeply rooted in for the past two weeks. I've been studying it. I've been listening to, to what Jack Hibbs has been saying on the topic. But I don't just want to bring a second-hand message. I want to bring a message that, that, that is deeply rooted in my heart. So I've spent a lot of time on it. Um, and so if we can all go together to 2 Peter 1 verses 1 to 4 it says this simon peter a servant and apostle of jesus christ to those who through the righteousness of our god and savior jesus christ have received a faith as precious as ours grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of god and of jesus christ our lord his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Let's just uh, bow our heads and let's just pray. Father, I pray that your word will come and pierce our hearts. I pray that your word will become the substance of what we build our faith on, that it will draw us closer to you. Your word says that if we draw close to you, you will draw close to us. You draw men all you draw all men unto you. Father, I pray that the word this morning will be anointed, Lord, not because it's my words, but because it is your words. I pray that you will breathe life into it. I pray that you will breathe peace into it. I pray this morning, Father, that every person who hears this word will be encouraged by it and will, will pursue it diligently, Father. Father, I pray that it will reflect your beauty and your splendor and that it will place the emphasis on you. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's amazing when you when you read scripture how how much you can get out of a small portion of scripture. Um, so I want to start off and just give you a little bit of history. Um, the first book of Peter was written around sixty two to sixty three uh, after Christ. 
And the second book of Peter was written um, around 65 to 65 after Christ. Um, so there's about a three to four year period uh, between the two books. And 2 Peter was written just before Peter was uh, persecuted for his faith, before he was crucified upside down, uh, because he believed in Jesus. Uh, there's something interesting to note between the two books. The, the first book of Peter was written in a very simple linguistic style. So it was very simple, very plain. Plat Bura Afrikaans geskryf. And 2 Peter shows uh, a development in language and in linguistic style. And for a long time, theologians have been arguing whether 2 Peter was actually written by Peter. Uh, they say it's much more Pauline in nature. So they, there was a, a period of time where they thought that Paul maybe um, wrote the book of 2 Peter. Uh, but there's enough internal and external evidence to show that uh, Peter did write the book. Um, it's very unlike Paul. Paul usually starts his book by identifying himself, uh, by saying Paul an apostle of. Um, so, so I think it's, it's safe to assume that 2 Peter was written by Peter. And what is amazing is this development in linguistic style. So there's a movement uh, or, uh, and, and a growth, um, you know, that Peter kind of went through between 1 Peter and 2 Peter within a period of four years. I think this is important to note because um, our walk with Christ must show development. It must show growth. Um, a seed dies, it goes into the ground, it dies, but then it grows up to become a tree that bears fruit and gives shade. Uh, and so growth is, um, is a sign of you being deeply rooted in Christ. In John, it's John 15, it says, He who remains in me will bear much fruit. Uh, and so if we remain in Christ, there will be growth and there will be development uh, and we'll move forward, never backwards. Leslie said that last week so beautifully. He said the armor of God, weapons are there to move forward and not backward. And I think that is, that is really important. I, I love the books of Peter because I think that if you want to... Um, study to become a doctor you learn from doctors uh, if you study uh, to become a lawyer you learn from those who are experts in the law and so i think if you want to learn how to become a disciple um, probably one of the best people to learn from was uh, peter who was probably one of the worst disciples but also one of the best disciples the one who made the biggest boo-boos um, but always got back up uh, and pursued Jesus with everything, who had revelation. Uh, Matthew 16, he says that you are Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Um, he had this revelation about who Jesus was. He is the one that got out of the boat. So I think he's the perfect example to learn from as a disciple. And so we, we can take great courage from that. So as we jump into this word, I, I want to start off by saying this. Um, I want to read this. It says, Simon Peter. Simon Peter is identified by name. This is extremely important for us because this is the good news of the gospel is that Jesus calls each one of us by name. Each one of us is called by name and for purpose. I want to give you some scriptures in Matthew 4 verse 18 to 20. This is where Jesus called his first disciples. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers the one was Simon Peter, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When Jesus was walking beside that Sea of Galilee, he knew exactly who he was calling. 
He knew that the one was called Simon Peter and the other one Andrew. Uh, Jesus chose them. And so we are chosen from the foundations of the world. Before we were formed, before we were fashioned in our mother's womb, God calls us. He, uh, uh, in Psalm 139, it says that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, if we go to Jeremiah 1 verse 5, um, God speaks to Jeremiah the prophet and he says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. In Isaiah 43 verse 1, he says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. The Apostle Paul says the same thing. He says in Galatians 1 verse 14 to 16, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among many people, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. We see, we see the same pattern emerge um, regardless of who the, who the example is. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, whenever people got involved with the gospel, they were called by name. Mary was called by name uh, when, when she was called to birth the Messiah and to carry the Messiah. Um, as we said, Paul was called by name. And so I want to encourage you this morning to say to you that each one of you is called by name by the living God. This is amazing because no other God calls people by name. No other idol calls people by name. They sit with folded arms and folded legs like Buddha. And they expect you to come to them and call upon them. And they're dead. They can't hear you. They, but idols. But what sets Christianity apart from everything else is that the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob is intimately involved in our lives. He's intimately uh, and lovingly involved with each one of us. And so you can take great comfort with the fact that Jesus calls you by name. The, the scripture goes on. It says, Simon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. It says a servant. We need to delve into this word servant. Um, it's, it's extremely important that we understand what this word means. Um, the, the word is doulos or bondservant. And a doulos or a bondservant is somebody that is not enslaved, but one who willingly places himself under the auspices or under the rule and reign of a master. Uh, I think we need to understand that all of us are enslaved by something. Uh, there's, there's no hiding it. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, what are we enslaved to? Whom are we enslaved to? Uh, we could be enslaved by pornography. We could be enslaved by success. We can be enslaved by our work. Just ask those who are workaholics. Uh, we can be enslaved by, um, by fame and by money. We can be enslaved by, um, by abuse, by persecution, things that we go through. Uh, and, and so all of us are enslaved whether we like it or not. Uh, and, and so we need to understand that freedom is not being without a master. 
freedom is serving the right master. Uh, and so Peter comes and he says, I am going to choose by my own will and by my own purpose, I'm going to choose my master. I'm going to become a bond servant. A bond servant is someone who diligently serves. A bond servant is a servant for life. Uh, there's no turning back from that. Once you've said that I'm your servant, you are then tied to that master and you serve him from a position of love, from a position uh, of, of free will. And so that is what a bond servant is. Um, we, we see, that, like I said, there's, there's no such thing as freedom. We, we're all, there's freedom in the fact that we're serving the right master, but there's no such thing as freedom without a master. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, we, we've seen this movement in America called Black Lives Matter, and it started off as, as an outcry, but it turned, as we've said many times, into something demonic, and it is this this, this cry for freedom from authority. It is this cry of freedom from, from the police force. And what transpired out of that is absolute destruction. And so even this cry for freedom became destructive and they became enslaved by destruction, enslaved by the very things that they were standing against. And so freedom without rules, um, freedom without fences is, is really dangerous. I'll give you another example. If um, you have a small child and, and you live on a busy street and let's say you've got no wall or no fence and your child goes out and plays in the yard, the front yard, and, and you see them running into the street and playing in the street, one of the first things that you're going to do is you're going to erect a fence or you're going to build a wall so that they can't get out. And they may come with a very um, Marxistic view and they can come with a... Um, uh, an oppressive view and they can say oh my goodness you are imposing limitations on me as your child how dare you um, but that really is in their detriment it is in their it's not in their favor um, rules are there to protect us so that we can play safely in the yard rules are there to protect us so that we can play without limitations that we can play without fear that we can play without um, any form of oppression um, or or any danger, um, because if we were to play in the street, the car will drive us over, or, or will ride us over. Um, and so, so fences are there, and God's word acts as that fence. His presence acts as that fence. Uh, that's why he continuously throughout scripture says that we need to have the word, the rules, the precepts written on the tablets of our hearts. And so we're no longer under the law. But God writes his law upon our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us. And so that when we are outside of his rule and reign, we are convicted by the Holy Spirit. And so it's relational instead of being the set of rules so that we can become servants. Being a servant, though, is something that we make by choice. We become a servant because we choose to become a bond servant. Um, and so often we choose our servant or, or our masters. We continuously choose our masters. Um, we choose whether we're enslaved by pornography. We choose whether we're enslaved by, by news and by bad news and by COVID-19. We choose whether we're enslaved by fear. And so it is crucially important that we who are called by name make a choice as to who we want to serve. Um, and so, so Peter comes and he says, I am a bond servant, a free will servant of Jesus Christ. I'm surrendered. And I'm yielded to the person of Christ. 
I'm surrendered and yielded to the deity of Christ. And I'm surrendered and yielded to the position of Christ. I understand that he, who he is. He is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the Most High. He is the King of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. He's the one who's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's the Ancient of Days. He's the one who rules and reigns the world with an iron scepter. He is the one who has all authority. He is the one who, um, who has the authority to open the book of life. He's the one with the authority to break open the seals. He's the lamb who was slain. And he's the lion out of the tribe of Judah. So he understands the deity. He understands that Jesus is God. Uh, he understands that Jesus is positionally far above him. Scripture says, um, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Uh, in Job, Job, God questions Job and he says to him, who are you to tell me how I've created the world? Who are you to tell me how things were fashioned and formed? Uh, I'm the one that's supposed to tell you. So he understands that Christ is positionally elevated, seated in heaven. And so he comes under the submission of that rule and reign. Um, one of Leslie's favorite scriptures is, is Matthew 6 verse 33 that says, Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And so we seek his kingdom and we seek his righteousness. We seek his rule and his reign. Uh, and that is what it means to become a bondservant. It means that whatever you do, you place your emphasis on him. Whatever you do, you place your hope and your faith in him. Uh, you work diligently for him. That is becoming a bondservant by choice. He goes on and he says, Simon Peter, a servant, an apostle. An apostle. An apostle comes from the word apostolos, which means a messenger. And so often when we read this word, we think of the office of the apostle. Um, we think that only certain people are called to be messengers, but that's not true. The sense of the word here simply means messenger. And he says that I'm going out to be a messenger of Jesus Christ. Um, all of us who have been called by name have been called for this purpose of being a bondservant and a messenger. Uh, in Matthew 28, um, verse um, Verse 18 to 20, it's Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. Uh, we call this the Great Commission. So all of us called by name, called to be a bondservant, and I'll give you some examples of what a bondservant is in practical terms. A bondservant is a mother who is enslaved to the nurturing of her child. You choose as a mom to serve your child. When that baby opens the mouth and screams and says, I want milk, the mother gladly runs and serves the needs of the baby. A husband's joy of being enslaved to loving his wife. Ephesians 5 says, wives be, submit, be submissive unto your husbands, but husbands Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Uh, Christ died for the church. And so, husbands, you are to lay aside your own lives. You, sit, you're a, you're, you, you are to set aside your own importance and your own needs so that you can place the needs of your wife above yourself. It's the father's joy of being enslaved to the welfare of his family. A father works diligently so that he can provide. 
Uh, if I look back over my life, I'm immensely grateful for my father and how he worked and always provided. We lacked nothing because he worked diligently to serve our needs above the needs of what he wanted. It's the wife's joy of being enslaved to the companionship of her husband, uh, being there for him, under, you serving his needs again. And it's this loving thing where one serves uh, another. That is what a bond servant is. And an apostle, a messenger going out to speak of what we believe, speak of what, whom we serve. I think it is important to understand that we cannot be a messenger if we don't wholeheartedly serve. If we're a messenger, when we half-heartedly serve, we are lukewarm. And we only bring certain elements um, of, of what we are serving, of whom we are serving to the forefront. And we're only speaking about certain elements. And so it is important that we lay down our lives completely, that the message can be full. In Revelation, it says, I wish that you were either cold or hot, but you're lukewarm. And because you are lukewarm, I'm about to vomit you out of your mouth, out of my mouth. Um, it, is, it is that lukewarmness that creates a sense of dissatisfaction with Christianity. It is that sense of lukewarmness that, that creates the sense of hypocrisy that people experience. They say, oh, you, thou art holier than I, but you do as much sin as I do. And yes, we are all sinners, but, but so often we don't back what we say with our actions. We don't back what we say with our deeds. And so being a bondservant is one that is fully committed fully submissive to the to the deity person and position of Jesus Christ so that when we speak it is it is not only speaking in words but it is also speaking with action paul writes as he says that we have become living epistles so that you can look at our lives and our lives can bring the message and not just our words and so i think that is really important to understand um it says then that he is a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I said this before, that you've got to choose your master. I've got to choose my master. All of us have masters. Uh, it doesn't matter what, what we may think that we're without a master. But like I showed you before, there, there is no such thing. Even when you think you're without a master, you're under the rule and reign of a master. So the question then we need to ask ourselves is why is it? That we will choose Jesus. Why will we choose him? Why don't we just choose um, any other God? Why, why is it that we don't just choose anything else? Um, so here is some, some scriptures that I want to share with you. The first reason why I choose to serve Jesus Christ is because he is the promised Messiah. In Luke 1 verse 32 verse 33 he says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. This is the angel speaking to, to Mary. Uh, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. He is the Messiah. Jesus came to give life, and life in abundance. In Luke 10 verse 10, it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came to give us life and give us life in abundance. The next reason why I serve Jesus, and these are just some examples, is because he was made manifest to destroy the works of the devil. Everything that we're facing, coronavirus, COVID-19, 
SARS-CoV-2, whatever you want to call it, he is there to destroy the works of the enemy. In 1 John 3 verse 8, it says this, The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. Uh, and so I serve him because he's the one who has all authority. And if he has all authority, then there's another one with no authority. It's not a 50%. It's not an 80-20. It is 100% and zero. So Jesus has all authority. And he came to take away and to destroy the works of the enemy. And then Jesus came to set the ultimate example of humility and leadership. In Matthew 11 verse 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls with me. In Philippians 2 verse 5 to 8, he says, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature, God did not consider equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus lowered himself, he became a servant, and he came to do that to set an example to us as to how we are to live. Because it says, in, 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 in your own mind, take, take up the same mindset as Christ. Uh, Les spoke about that last week, the mindset that we that we need to have. And then his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Jesus is a master that does not enslave us. Uh, we see that when Israel came out of Egypt, uh, they were under the, the taskmaster called Pharaoh who resembles Satan. Uh, who, uh, and they were enslaved to him and they were, were worked to the bone. And God chose them and took them out of the oppression of Egypt so that they were free to worship him. Um, and, he's, and then he provided for them. Uh, the Bible says that the, the shoes on their feet did not decay. The clothes that they were wearing uh, did not decay. He fed them with manna. He, he, he opened rocks. He split open rocks and water flowed out of it when they were thirsty. Um, he took them into the promised land. He opened the Red Sea. So he works with us. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. In Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, it says, Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, all of you who are enslaved by other taskmasters, all of you who are enslaved by those who oppresses you, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so I think that what is important from this first verse in 2 Peter 1, this very introductory verse is that we are called by name and we're called for a purpose. Each one of us have got a call upon our lives. And the call upon our lives is to become a bondservant and a messenger. A bondservant and a messenger. If you ever at the question, what is my call? What is my purpose? Here it is. You're called to be a bondservant and a messenger. And, and when you walk daily in that, the way, the method that you are to do it will develop. It will come out. But we are all faithfully called to be bondservants and messengers. Uh, I want to read you the scripture. It says uh, in Romans 6 verse 13 to 14, this is the purpose, your purpose and your calling. It says, do not offer any part of yourself 
to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God, being a bond servant, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. So we are to be weapons, instruments of righteousness uh, in word and in deed, being bondservants and a messenger, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So just in case you think this is not applicable to you, just in case you uh, think that you were not called by name, uh, let's delve a little bit deeper and see who Peter wrote this letter to. Peter wrote this letter not to a specific church. He wrote this to the global church at that time. It says, To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. So he's writing to everyone who has accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He's writing to everyone who have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and placed in the kingdom of light. Uh, that is the, the audience that Peter is writing, writing to, and that is extremely applicable to us because if we say that we've been saved by grace through faith and not by works, if we've been called out of darkness, if we've been born again, then this letter is as applicable to us as it was at the time to the global church. So he says to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, um, through the righteousness the Bible is very clear. It says in Romans 3, uh, verse 10 to 12, it says that there is no one righteous. None of us can be righteous. Um, it says there's no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. I think when we read that, we sometimes become despondent and we become despaired and we think, oh my goodness, I'm never good enough. I'm never owning up to what I should become. I'm, I'm never reaching that level of understanding. And, and this is where the good news of the gospel comes in, is we were never called to do it by our own righteousness, because if we were to do it by our own righteousness, it would be self-righteousness. It would be us blowing up our own egos. It would be us blowing up our own positions. And we are continuously reminded in Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 9 that says that we have been saved by grace through faith and not by works that any man may boast. If we were, to, if we were able to do this by our own works, by our own righteousness, then we would have had the opportunity to boast about that, to say, oh, look at me. Look how great I am. Look how, how awesome I am. You better bow down and worship me because I am great and I'm righteous and you're not and you need to live up to my standard. But all of us are called up to live by the standard of Jesus Christ and not by our own standards. And this is the good news because he provides the righteousness. Righteousness is not something that we attain out of ourselves. Righteousness is something that we are clothed with. Righteousness is placed upon us by Jesus, who is the righteousness of God. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, it says, It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. It is Jesus that provides righteousness, holiness, and redemption in Colossians, it says, because of him, 
we are presented holy, above reproach, free from accusation before the Father. And it is almost like this lens that the Father wears. You know, it's like wearing a glass. When, when God the Father looks at us, He places on the lens of Jesus Christ and He looks at us if we are in Him through this lens and He sees the sacrifice of His Son. He sees the righteousness of His Son. Uh, and He doesn't look at us in anger and He doesn't look at us in uh, disappointment, but He looks at us in pride and saying, um, this is my child whom I've chosen. We speak about we speak about this often is that we are no longer orphans, but we are we have the spirit of adoption. The Bible says that we have the spirit of adoption. You need to think about this. Adoption is a powerful concept. Um, you know, when when you're born out of a family, that's good. And, and parents love their children um, and, and because that's a part of them. But you're kind of stuck to, with what you get. Right. Um, you don't have a choice uh, when, when that baby is born. That is your baby. Uh, like him, don't like him, that's your baby, you don't have a choice. But if you adopt a child, you go to an ado adoption agency, you maybe go to a, a children's home, and you choose a child, fully understanding that this child maybe went through a lot of despair, maybe have got a lot of baggage, and yet you choose that child. And that is what God the Father does with us. We've got the spirit of adoption, He knows us. He, he's formed us, He's fashioned us, but he knows that we were born in sin. And despite that, despite that, he chooses us and he adopts us into the family of God, into the family of his son. And he clothes us with his son so that we can become Christ-like. That we can walk in the footsteps of Jesus and become like him. And I think this should create a great sense um, of comfort for us that God chooses us. That he provides the righteousness for us. Now, how does he provide the righteousness? Um, like I said, we need to remain in him. In Romans 13 verse 14, it says this. The night is nearly over. This is a warning. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Speaking about the coming of our Lord and Savior. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Leslie spoke about armor last week. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. It is remaining in Him. It is that submission unto Him. It is that being a bondservant unto Him. And in that process, we are clothing ourselves with Jesus Christ. Uh, what, is, what is amazing about the scripture, it says, um, To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, has, has received a faith as precious as ours. I, I think the one thing that we need to understand is that Jesus is God. As much as the Father is God, and as much as the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, and for that reason, we need to understand the Trinity a little bit, and, and this is just really a side note. I don't want to delve into um, the doctrine of the Trinity, but I'll just say this, is that there um, is, is it's, a, it's a difficult concept. I don't think we will ever have full understanding, but one of the best examples or the best explanations that I've heard 
regarding the Trinity is from Nabil Qureshi, who is an apologist or who was an apologist, sadly died at a very young age because of cancer. Uh, he worked with Dr. Ravi Zacharias, also an apologist that recently passed away also because of cancer. Um, uh, and, and he explains the Trinity in a very unique way. Uh, sometimes we, we explain the Trinity by using examples such as water, steam and ice all being water, but that's really, and I know what we're trying to achieve, we're trying to say that it's the same substance and it comes in different forms and that is correct, but what, what so often happens is we fall into the trap of modalism. Modalism says that one becomes another, so God the Father becomes Jesus the Son and becomes the Holy Spirit and that's not true, that's the error of modalism. Um, that God is three persons, but God is one. Uh, it's three in one. So what does that mean? Nabil Qureshi explains it like this. He says that God is one being, but he's three persons. Uh, that is an extremely concept. The one does not contradict the other because a being speaks of what you are. He is God. Uh, in Deuteronomy, it says the Lord our God is one God. It is his being. And then there are three persons within this being, and that is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, so three persons, the person speaks of whom you are. So the being speaks of what you are, and the person speaks of who you are. Um, I think what is really important here is to understand that God is one being. He is God, all positionally the same, and then one also submissive to the other. Uh, Jesus speaks about this. He says there's no one greater than the Father. The Son is not greater than the Father, but the, great, the Father is greater than what the Son is. Um, the example is, is that, um, you know, I work for a company and there's a CEO. The, CEO. the CEO is positionally and functionally more important than I, but the, but the CEO is still a human being. And be, in being, we're on level playing field. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is in being on the same level, all God, all the highest authority, but fulfilling certain positions and functions uh, that, is, that is submissive one to another. And what is beautiful is the humility that comes in the Godhead. God always points to Jesus. Um, he, says, um, he, he says that, look at my son, in him I'm well pleased. He says, listen to him, listen to no other. Jesus said, uh, of the Holy Spirit, there's one coming after me. Thank you, Leslie. There's one coming after me that is greater. The greater one, the, the, the greater comforter is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. And so there's this absolute humility in serving one another. And it's this infinity of one pointing to the other. Jesus always points to the Father. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. He places the emphasis on the Father. Um, and so this is this beautiful thing of humility, serving um, and, and position, and I think that we are to model that. I think what is what is really coming to the forefront lately is is this absolute horrible spirit of racism um, uh, and dissension. And and what we are doing is we're contravening the very being of what we are. We're all human beings. Yes, we may be different persons. Yes, we may, may be different um, of different um, ethnicity. We may be of different cultures. But we need to understand that we are one being, we're all human being, and we're all made in the image and in the likeness of God, uh, it says in Genesis 1 verse 26. And so if we contravene the, the, the essence of, 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 of what we are, 
we're really shooting ourselves in the foot. Because what we're doing is if we're saying what somebody is is less than what I am, I'm really lowering my standard to that very level because one human being cannot be less than one, uh, another human being. Um, yes, we can differ because people differ, the person differs, uh, and their thoughts and their actions and whatever differs, but we cannot violate the law of one being. And I think that is, that is just something that we need to think about. Uh, the spirit of racism is absolutely demonic. It is contradictory to the word of God uh, and because we were all made in the image and likeness of God. So it says this, it says to those speaking of all of us through the righteousness of our God, it's through his righteousness uh, of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. A faith as precious as ours. This is, this is such an amazing concept. Uh, to, to think about this, is, is we need to explain it like this, is that when we are walking in faith, our faith is counted as valuable as the faith of Abraham, who's called the father of faith. It is as precious as the faith of David when he stood in front of Goliath. Um, it is as precious um, as the faith of Paul, it is as precious as the faith of Peter. It is as precious as the faith of any of the patriarchs or any of the women who were in, in Christ. Um, and we need to treasure that faith. I want to read to you um, from Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 uh, is this amazing testimony of faith. And I'll just read a couple of verses, uh, starting in verse 1. It says, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. This is what the ancients were commended for, is that they had faith. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, his, by, by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Um, I, I read up a little bit because I, Noah was the kind of the trigger point for me. And I, I studied how long it took to build the ark. So God said to Noah, build an ark. And Noah had to get up for 55 to 75 years, day after day, to build that ark. Without seeing any sign of rain, without seeing any sign of a flood, he had to faithfully get up and build that ark day after day, in the face of being mocked, in the face of being spat on, in the face, faith, uh, in the face of being mocked, uh, persecuted by those around him who lived in sin and debauchery, who said, oh, where's your God? What are you doing? There's no rain coming. Why are you building this ark? Noah got up for 55 to 75 years building this ark day after day. And if he missed the day, he would have been late. 
God did not delay. God said that he's mm. going to give mankind 120 years to repent of their sin. Uh, and then he, he started preparing Noah and he said, build this ark. And then after 70, 50, between 55 and 75 mm. years, the, the rains came. And I think this is, the, this is the part that is greatly inspirational to me, is that so often we get up and we're facing some trouble at work or we're facing some persecution, we don't see the outcome, we don't see the promises, we don't see the revelation yet. And the question is, do we get up then by having the like precious faith? Do we treasure our faith? Do we take our faith and say, this is more valuable than anything else. I need to hold on to this. Uh, the Apostle Paul speaks to Timothy. He says the words that were spoken over your life, the prophecies that you received, you've got to hold on to that. You've got to use that as your weapons to fight with because every word that comes from the mouth of God will surely come to fulfillment. God says that his word never returns void unto him. So if he promises, he will deliver whether you see it or whether you don't see it. The question is, are you holding on to that like precious faith, that treasure that was so highly valued by the patriarchs, by those of old, um, by the ancients who had faith. In Hebrews 12, it starts off, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out uh, for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Uh, Les and I had a, a, had a discussion around this um, a couple of days ago, and, and we spoke maybe a couple of weeks ago. I can't even remember the time flies so quickly. But we spoke about this great cloud of witnesses, and so often preachers will come and they'll say, Oh my goodness, you're in this arena and you have these great cloud of witnesses, all these patriarchs sitting in the stands and they're cheering you on and they're saying, go, you're doing such a good job. You're fighting such a good, you, you know, you, you, you're doing such a good job. You're running forward. Come on, we're cheering you on. Uh, I think that is an error. I don't think that is true because what they're doing is they're placing the emphasis on you and not on Christ. The, the, the cloud of witnesses, what they are doing is they're referencing back to Hebrews chapter 11 and they say look at us look at the faith that we had and the way that Christ came through for us look at how we 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 held on to that faith even when we were when, when we when we were torn limb from limb even when we were crucified upside down even when we were boiled in a pot of oil uh, we held on to that faith even while we were stoned uh, even when we couldn't see the rain coming, we held on to faith because that faith is precious. That faith is wonderful. And so the, the emphasis is not being placed on us, but the emphasis is being placed on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. And so the emphasis of the cloud of witnesses is not to cheer us on. It is to inspire us. It's not to cheer us on, but it is to, to keep us grounded and to say, pursue faith. Pursue faith like you've never pursued faith before. Dear family and friends, today I want to say to you that your faith today is crucial. Uh, in the midst that we're facing, I don't know if you watch the news. I try not to watch the news, but every now and again I do see something. Um, it, is, it is a disaster. It is COVID-19. On top of that, there's this massive explosion in Beirut. Um, China and America are at, it, at each other's throats. 
um, the, the world economies um, are, are facing persecution. It is facing uncertainty. Um, our, our country is sitting with blatant corruption. And so the only thing that we have is our faith. The only hope that we have is Jesus. The only, the only confidence that we have is him because there's no confidence in the economy. There's no confidence in the JSE. There's no confidence in, in the NASDAQ. There's no confidence in the New York Stock Exchange or the London Stock Exchange. There's no confidence in the governments of the world. There's no confidence in any of those. Our only hope is our faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Uh, and so faith um, is, is what we need to hold on to. Faith, um, all of us receive a measure of faith. That's called saving faith. Uh, in Romans 12 verse 3, it says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, uh, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith uh, God has distributed to each of you. So God gives us all a level of faith. The, the thing that we need to understand about faith is that faith is not static. Faith is dynamic. Faith is not set in stone. Faith grows. And faith grows according to Romans 10 verse 17. It says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, you need to be rooted in the word of God. Uh, I think it extends further to that and it comes back to being this doulos, being, being this bondservant and also being a messenger. Uh, you can ask any person who is a teacher that, uh, or a professor at varsity. They become experts in their fields because they explain it to someone else. I think a part of hearing the word of God, a part of what stirs our faith is by sharing our faith with others, is by sharing the gospel with others. Uh, if we just read it, 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 it never translates into something active. It never translates into something that, that is active and that pursues something. So when we just sit in our room and we read the word and we see that God heals the diseases of those who are sick uh, or he, he delivers people from demonic oppression and we never see it as we've only got a level of faith that's limited by our inexperience because we never see it. We just read it. Uh, it is when, when, we, when, we, when we take that next step, because it says that faith without works is dead. So we've got this level of faith, um, but when we step into the action, uh, it lifts because then we also experience it and we can with certainty say, oh, my friend, I've seen Jesus cast out demons. I've seen him heal the sick. I've seen him uh, turn a baby from, from sure death into life. Uh, where they decided that they're going to put the machines off a hundred days later, he was alive and he's alive to this day. I've seen, I've, I've literally seen deliverance after deliverance after deliverance. There's no way that you can argue with me that Jesus does not drive our demons, that Jesus does not heal the sick, that Jesus does not provide in the worst circumstances because I've seen him do it. So I believe his word, but I experience his word because I go out and I do it. And so each one of us, remember, each one of us called by name, called for this very purpose to be a doulos, a bondservant and a messenger and to count our faith precious. We are to count our faith precious. Um, that, is, that is what is important. So, so if I can inspire you this morning is you need to hold on to your faith. 
Uh, the last thing that I will say, and I'll, I'll end with this. Um, so we've literally been through two verses uh, of 2 Peter. Uh, it just says in verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So God calls you by name, He calls you by purpose, and then He supplies everything you need to live out that purpose. It says His divine power, not our divine power, His divine power has given us everything we need, everything we need, for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. You may participate in the divine nature. You are to partner with Jesus in action. You are to partner in His divine nature. You are to heal the sick. You are to cast out demons, not in your own name, but in His name, because He has provided the authority, because He has provided the anointing, because He has provided the grace, because He has provided the love. He provides the fruit so that you can bear fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the gifts of the Spirit. Um, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Uh, so, dear friends, family, this Presence Culture family, everyone who listens, I want to say to you that you've been called by name. You've been called for a very distinct purpose. You've got a call upon your life. Uh, the righteousness to do it righteously is supplied by Jesus Christ. You are to hold on to that faith. And He provides everything that you need. Will you just sit like this and let me pray for you? Father, I come and I pray for every person listening in this morning. Father, I pray that you will stir their hearts. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will breathe over them. I pray that you will inspire them. I pray, Father, that they will feel encouraged to be a bondservant, Lord, to be a messenger. I pray that they will understand that faith has been provided, that righteousness has been provided. That authority has been provided to each one who calls Jesus Christ Lord and Savior, who submits to Him, submits to the person of Christ, submits to the deity of Christ, and submits to the position of Christ, who says, I'm going to serve you with everything inside of me. I'm going to clothe myself with Jesus. I'm not going to to gratify my sinful nature, but I'm going to become a weapon of righteousness in the hand of a mighty God. Lord, I pray that you will use us. I pray that your Holy Spirit will convict us. I pray that you will provide this, the opportunities for us to be, to be witnesses unto you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you will empower us. As you say in Acts 1, you say that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the world. I pray that we will be supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit. That Lord, we do not have to do it out of our own strength. We cannot do it out of our own strength. It's impossible. And so often we try, but we don't have to because you supply all the power. You supply all the authority. Father, I come this morning and I thank you for Tani Anika that she is sitting here with us. I, I thank you, God, what you are doing in her life. I pray that you will multiply grace upon her life right now. I pray that she will be touched, that there will be complete restoration, that there will be complete healing. We place a demand on your Holy Spirit. We place a demand by our faith. We place a demand and we say be healed in the name of Jesus. Be restored. Be made whole. Have peace. Have freedom. Because you're the God of peace. You are, this, you are the peace that we need. You are Jehovah Shalom. 
We give you all the glory and praise. Father, I pray for every person listening in today. I pray that your grace will rest upon them. I pray that your presence will be made manifest in their lives, Lord. And in our lives, Lord, let us fall more in love with you. Let us set you as a seal upon our hearts and upon our arms. There is no greater love than the love you have for us. Kiss us with the kisses of your mouth. Let the king take us into his chamber. Take us into the holy of holies. Lord, we do all we do for your glory and for your name's sake. May your name be glorified. Lord, we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, the King of all kings. Amen. Thank you so much for listening in this morning. Uh, Les, I don't know if you wanted to uh, just add anything or say anything. Um, no, cool. That was, sure, that was amazing, guys. Well done. Thanks, Bella. Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing word. And I just, I believe that um, this is just going to absolutely encourage you, stir you, and um, just propel you into, you know, more grace and glory for his name. So 